Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to the Science of Success. Introducing your host, Matt Bodner. Welcome to the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet with more than 3 million downloads and listeners in over 100 countries. In this episode, we discuss what causes the big moments that can transform your life in an instant. And we show you how to create that kind of motivation and inspiration in your everyday life so that you can be more productive and happier. We also expose why the common wisdom about willpower and the concept of ego depletion are completely wrong and what you should do instead. All of this and much more with our guest this episode, James Fell. Do you need more time? Time for work? Time for thinking and reading? Time for the people in your life? Time to accomplish your goals? This was the number one problem our listeners outlined, and we created a new video guide that you can get completely for free when you sign up and join our email list. It's called How You Can Create Time for the Things That Really Matter in Life. You can get it completely for free when you sign up and join the email list at successpodcast.com. You're also going to get exclusive content that's only available to our email subscribers. We recently pre-released an episode and an interview to our email subscribers a week before it went live to our broader audience. And that had tremendous implications because there was a limited offer in there with only 50 available spots that got eaten up by the people who were on the email list first. With that same interview, we also offered an exclusive opportunity for people on our email list to engage one-on-one for over an hour with one of our guests in a live exclusive interview just for email subscribers. There's some amazing stuff that's available only to email subscribers that's only going on if you subscribe and sign up to the email list. You can do that by going to successpodcast.com and signing up right on the homepage. Or if you're driving around right now, if you're out and about and you're on the go, you don't have time, just text the word SMARTER to the number 44222. That's S-M-A-R-T-E-R to the number 44222. In our previous episode, we discussed how to break into careers in tough industries, the skills it takes to succeed in difficult circumstances, how to deal with the difficulty of constant rejection, how to build the muscle of determination, a hack for switching your thinking that can make it much easier to face challenging situations and rejection, and much more with our previous guest, Alex Grodnick. If you want to know what skills it takes to get your dream job, listen to that episode. Now for our interview with James. Please note, this episode contains profanity. Today, we have another exciting guest on the show, James Fell. James is an author, owner of bodyforwife.com, and science-based motivator for lasting life change. He's one of the most read health and fitness writers in North America and currently writes articles for the LA Times and the Chicago Tribune. His work has been featured in numerous publications, including Time Magazine, Men's Health, and much more. He's the author of a recently released book, The Holy Shit Moment, How Lasting Change Can Happen in an Instant. James, welcome to the Science of Success. Thanks for so much for having me on, Matt. We're really excited to, uh, to have you on the show today and, and to dig into some of these topics. 
to start out, I'd love to just just kind of begin with with this idea of of life changing moments. How is it possible that massive change or lasting change can happen in the blink of an eye? Well, the interesting thing is that when we have a transformative experience like this, it's not about behavior change. It's more about an alteration in your core identity and your values. And those are things that happen because of some, either a massive flash of insight into your life where you've suddenly achieved the solution to problems that have been pestering you, or it can even be mystical in nature where maybe you feel that there was an otherworldly presence that commanded you to do something. But regardless of the sensation as to where you felt it come from, they're incredibly powerful emotional experiences that have a tendency to, it's like carving a new purpose into your being like a chisel working on stone. And when something like that happens, there's this overwhelming sensation that you just feel that you have to go in this new direction. These are not things that happen slowly. It's not like adopting new habits where you're, you know, a tortoise, not a hare or taking baby steps. It's something that happens so rapidly that you cannot help but notice. And people find them incredibly motivating where when an event like this takes place, they, they feel like they must fulfill this new mission or vision that they've had. And so what are some of the primary things or experiences that can trigger these kinds of moments? So there's lots of different things that can take place. Sometimes, you know, maybe it's a health scare or there's an example in the book where it was a positive pregnancy announcement. And the the pregnancy announcement is is a good one because that relates directly to identity change. It was a man named Chuck Gross. He weighed over 400 pounds. He'd been heavy his entire life. He had tried and failed to lose weight many times. And then there was this unexpected announcement. His wife comes out of the bathroom and says, I'm pregnant. And the first thing that happened was there was an overwhelming sense of joy because he was very excited about being a father. And then the next thing that happened was that he realized in a moment that this time he was going to lose weight. And it, it, he just knew it was going to work. It was a fait accompli. And that was because there was a there was an identity ch- change that took place in a flash. It was like he went from not a father to, hey, congratulations, dude, you're going to be a dad. And that also transformed his values because for him, something very important to him, he, he loved the idea of being a fit and healthy dad that, you know, could roughhouse with his kids and and live a long time and be there for them and all that kind of stuff. Uh, he wanted to be this high energy dad that that was what held tremendous value for him. And it did shift everything about his personality in that regard in a moment. And he told me, this is a direct quote from Chuck, where he said, I didn't have to struggle with my motivation. It came built in and it came built in because the behaviors, your actions, your attitudes, your beliefs line up automatically with those that core identity. And he said he, he never struggled from that day forward. He lost over 200 pounds. He's kept it off more than a decade. But to continue on and answer your question, there can be other things where you reach something of a breaking point or there's all sorts of little problems in your life where it's called crystallization of discontent. Maybe there's these different problems. If you look at them individually, one at a time, they don't seem like they're that big of a deal. But if they crystallize together, where the whole becomes greater than the sum of its parts, suddenly you just say, okay, enough of this. I'm, I need to go in a new direction. And you're suddenly a window opens on a new path that you can take. And the positive benefits of doing so are so overwhelming that you, you have no choice. You feel like you have no choice. You got to do it. Well, I think you made a, a really important point as well, that these big shifts are not necessarily about behavior change, but it's it's rather about identity change. Yeah, that refers to social psychologist Milton Rokic's model of personality. And it, it's like that line from Shrek where he says to donkey, ogres are like onions. Well, people are like onions too. If you cut them, there's going to be some crying. But that's not my point. <laughs> my point is that there's layers to our personality. The external layer is the behaviors and the actions. You go down a layer and then you've got beliefs and then you've got attitudes and then there's values and then there's identity at the core, the self of who you really are. And when we focus strictly on external layer behavior change, 
it essentially involves suffering. That's why we preach baby steps of minimizing the discomfort of change so that it does not combat your core with your core identity too much. If you try and change too many things all at once, you know, you show up hung over on January 1st with your first session on with Attila the trainer, all while quitting smoking, quitting drinking, eating healthier all on the same day, that's a recipe for a crash and burn because you're just looking at those behavior change that is in opposition to what your identity and your values are. But if you go through this shift in the the much more powerful internal layers, then the external layers just just come into line naturally. I love this this notion of making a shift deeper down at a deeper layer, and then the natural change in beliefs and behaviors, et cetera, flows out of that. And yeah, like and like I said, the it's the opposite in terms of rapidity with the way that it, it happens. Behavior change in order to stick, in order to drag yourself over a motivational tipping point and form habits that become sticky is a slow, painful process. Identity and value change is one of those things that can happen in a flash effortlessly. I mean, sometimes the homework to get you to that point or the the struggles that you've gone through for your life, it's like an erupting volcano. It's been bubbling beneath the surface for months or years. And then all of a sudden it explodes in an instant and it can be surprising. But if you really look, if you really look deep within yourself, you can realize that this has been building for a while. This, this storm has been coming. Before we dig into that, and I I definitely want to dig into this idea of how we can engineer and create those identity shifts. But before we spend some time on that, I want to come back to this notion that if we don't change correctly, our core identity will push back or resist these changes. Tell me more about this. Well, it has to do with the concept that we need to use willpower and grit and power through and suffer and suck it up and all that kind of concept that really the the idea that people that can't change just lack in willpower is rather deeply flawed. And there's an interesting study that was conducted back in the, the 90s that I think sent a lot of people on the wrong path. So it was in 1996 where researchers at Case Western Reserve University in Ohio took a group of students and, well, they were pretty mean to them. <laughs> so half the students And these weren't starving students, but they were definitely hungry students because they were told to show up hungry in order to participate in a study about taste preferences. So half the students get put in a room where they have the room smells of freshly baked chocolate cookies. And lo and behold, right in front of them, there is a plate of those cookies, plus a bunch of other chocolate treats. There is also a bowl of radishes in the room. And the researchers say, you guys can have all of the chocolate you want, but don't touch the radishes. You got to resist the radishes. And these guys are like, yeah, no problem, man. We're, it's, they started stuffing uh, chocolate into their face holes like the apocalypse was imminent. The other group of students was not so fortunate. They go into the same room, smells like chocolate cookies. There's piles of chocolate treats. They make a beeline for the chocolates and the researchers say, no, you can't have any chocolate. But over here, you can have all the radishes you want. And these guys are like, what? Nah, no, man, we want chocolate. And they're like, sorry, man, you got to resist the chocolate. It's much more challenging when you're hungry to res- resist chocolate than it is to resist radishes. Afterward, they made both groups work on an unsolvable puzzle. So it's like that time when, you know, your sister moved around all the stickers on your Rubik's Cube and the sides would never line up again. And, and so that, that type of a puzzle that just could not be solved. And they found that the ones who were made to resist chocolate gave up on the puzzle sooner. And they posited this hypothesis that they called it ego depletion. They said that willpower was a limited resource that could get drained throughout the day. Kind of like when you had a crap day at work and you hit the liquor store on the way home instead of the gym. So they, they, they said that if you have to engage in a lot of efforts that require your will throughout the day, then you're going to run out. And later on, it's, you know, hitting the couch with a six pack and a bag of Doritos. And there were other studies that followed that 
supported this concept of of willpower as a limited resource and and ego depletion. But big but here, there was two things wrong with these studies at the time prior to the 20th century. A lot of studies engaged in what is called probability hacking, which is where you dredge through the data looking for something of statistical significance. And so that's what these guys were doing. It's like, okay, let's see what we can find that we can report on so we can get published because, you know, publish or perish, right? And so they did that. Plus, there is that nasty thing called publication bias. Sure, there's a few studies that get published in in scientific journals that show that this ego depletion is a thing. But what about all the others of which there was many more that did conducted similar studies that showed no such effect? Those ones don't get published. So that, that was one of the things that led people to believe that willpower was this limited resource and that you needed to be very careful to parse out tiny drips of it over the day that, uh, and not change too much all at once. Now, Instead, and also to what happened recently, just within the last couple of years, there was a major study by researchers, I think it's at Curtin University in Australia, that did that looked at all of those old ego depletion studies, and they used new methods of statistical analysis to get a, a more realistic understanding of what the data meant. And they found that ego depletion was either not a thing or barely a thing. Other studies showed that ego depletion was something that could be a self-fulfilling prophecy. As an example, if you tell someone this activity is going to energize you for doing other stuff afterwards, they would do that activity and they would be energized because power of suggestion. If you told another group of people that the same activity was going to de-energize them, they were de-energized. So it's totally open to suggestibility. And so what the, but they, they just discovered that, you know, ego depletion really wasn't a thing. Instead, what it depends on is your internal drivers, your passion. There are people who are singularly motivated to do something where they will do it until they pass out from sheer physiological exhaustion. They have no psychological exhaustion because they want to do it so badly. They stay, you know, there's been nights that I've stayed up until 3 a.m. writing because I was on a roll and it's something I'm really excited about. Uh, willpower was irrelevant to the equation. So that's that's what we, and what it's called, it's called the identity value model of self-control. And that was a 20, 2016 study that, that was done that showed that those people who engage in behaviors that are directly in line with what their identity is, that they're far more successful in sustaining those behaviors and and working hard at it. Because like as an example, it's their passion. And that the other thing is that willpower training efforts to increase a person's willpower have never shown any measurable effect. There's been multi-week-long studies that that try to train up a person's willpower, and it doesn't work. It doesn't. It's kind of an irrelevant concept. Where instead, you really need to focus on looking at those internal internal drivers. And I'll say one more thing about you know to really trash on the whole concept of willpower was that there were some studies that have been done of these were lower socioeconomic status youths that lived in rather desperate circumstances. And the ones that were able to resist the pull of things like alcohol and drugs, even though they were in an environment that was that really had a tendency that pushed those things towards them, that yes, they did end up better off because they were able to do that, but because it was a constant daily sort of sense of harassment on their psyche that they had to choose this different path in life, it was physically unhealthy for them. It had negative cardiometabolic effects. I think it it said something about shortening telomeres or something, which is uh, affects the length of your life. Like it's just having to power through and do things that you hate that suck day after day after day 
it's not good for you. <laughs> it just, it, it doesn't work that well. Such fascinating research. And that was really, uh, that was a really great breakdown of, of the science and why willpower is a flawed concept. You know, it's interesting, reminds me of a, of a previous guest we had on the show, and we'll, we'll throw this episode into the show notes, but we had Dr. Brian Nosek, who spearheaded the reproducibility project, where they went back and they took a lot of psychology studies and that, that had been created because of things like uh, publication bias and uh, probability hacking and these kinds of things, and went and tested them again, and in a lot of cases found some of those results were deeply flawed. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was talking about with, they called it the replication crisis, I think. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. So that's really, really interesting. Let's dig in a little bit more into this. Uh, I've been, correct me if I say it incorrectly, but this idea of the identity value model of self-control. It really boils down to what we're, what we're most passionate about. And a lot of it can have to do with, with a sudden insight into our lives and who we are, and what it is that we want to get out of it. Sometimes it, it can be anything where you decide to change careers. It can be an entrepreneurial venture. You know, I had one about, I had, I had a very successful business career and I reached a point where I, I just realized I don't love this work. I make a lot of money at it, but I don't love doing it. And life is too short to spend the majority of my waking hours engaged in something strictly for a paycheck. Because I have this other passion, a skill that I'm good at, that I think I can make money at. And, and so it can, as soon as I made the decision to become a writer, I never worked so hard in my life. I worked way harder at being a writer than I ever did as a marketing executive. And, and it's because, and not only that, but I wanted to get really good at it. So that's called Rage to Master, where you have this, this skill that you feel that that it's an innate talent or a talent that you've developed and but it's not good enough you've got to get better at it it, it becomes in some ways it can become all consuming so you need to be a little bit careful that you don't ignore your family but it, that is one example of it another example can be that the way that you view yourself for example we've found that having to engage in resistance for treat foods, as an example, is futile. That if you view yourself as someone who likes to eat junk food and it's nearby, you're going to eat it. However, if you view yourself as someone who doesn't eat it or only rarely eats it, there is no resistance to engage in because of the way that you view your identity. Same thing that happens with smokers. People who think of themselves as ex-smokers who still crave that cigarette have a much tougher time with quitting than someone who says, no, I'm a non-smoker now. That's just, I am a person who will never smoke again. And that simple mindset switch is something that's very powerful because the temptation no longer exists for them. So just clarifying one thing, and then I have a, a follow-up question. You said it was called the rage to master? Yes, rage to master. And, and, and it's not necessarily the greatest term, but it's just one of those things where you're, you're overwhelmingly passionate of having to develop a skill. We see it quite often with uh, musicians that they have to perfect something on the piano or guitar or something like that, but it can happen in, in anything where you have this skill that you know you're good at and you want to be your absolute very best. Uh, we see it with athletes as well. What if my rage to master is something like video games? Yeah, that works. I mean, there's guys on YouTube that make a lot of money at that. So, you know, if, it, if it's your thing and the thing is, these things don't have to make money. Some people just want to get really good at guitar and they're never going to make a dime at it. But a, a book that I, I love that I quote a number of times in my book is called Good to Great by Jim Collins. And it is a business book and it's about corporate change, but it can also apply to personal change. And it's one of those things where it says, rather than trying to create greatness, find the thing that makes you want to create greatness. So it's not about greatness for greatness sake. It's about finding something that makes you want to create greatness. And if it's one of those things that you know, you need to make a living at, then you look at things, okay, what can I be 
best at? You know, where what can I do where I can really blow away the competition? And is it financially viable? Is it one of those things that can make money? So I wanted to be a writer. And at first I wanted to be a novelist, but having an MBA and having worked in marketing, I did a business case analysis and realized, you know what? Most novelists work full-time jobs because it does not pay well. <laughs> I mean, except for, you know, the elite few, your chances of making a living as a novelist are quite remote. And I thought, well, I want to write full-time. I want to quit this job that I'm not in love with and do something that I love all the time. And I realized, okay, health and fitness is something that I'm really good at. Uh, I know a lot about, and I think I can, there's rather than just writing a novel a year, there's myriad opportunities to make a lot of money. There's freelancing, there's speaking, there's consulting, there's blogging. And I, I saw so many different potential revenue streams. I said, okay, fine. I'm not going to, maybe I'll write a novel when I retire, but for right now, this is a way I can write full time and make money. So it was pushing my my economic engine. And it was one of those things that I knew that I could be better than most other people at. And I was still really excited to do it. It didn't have to be a novel. It just had to be writing. And so what about and I'm, I'm kind of taking this to its logical extreme, but I'm, I'm curious what your perspective is. What about someone who who's really passionate about something like watching TV and they just want to sit around and watch Netflix all day long? And they have that kind of, I don't know if that's a skill you could even master, but <laughs> what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is what, you know, is there a cutoff where you, you sort of decide that that activity is not productive or not worth investing in? Or how do you, how do you think about that? I think if somebody sits on their butt watching Netflix all day, they're not happy about that. <laughs> I don't think, I think deep down they realize that they're probably wasting their life. And, and, you know, I like Netflix myself. I, I like watching TV at the end of a hard day. I feel like I've earned it at the end of a hard day, but you know, someone that, that has no ambition to do anything other than watch TV. I expect if they started looking below the surface, they would realize that there is discontent there, that maybe they wish that they were getting up and doing more with their life. So I would encourage them, start looking at, you know, finishing the latest marathon season of, you know, you or Jessica Jones or whatever the latest thing is that's on there is not an accomplishment. That's that's not something that gives you purpose. So people need to start examining, okay, what could my purpose be? And, and there's actually a section in the book that talks about happiness versus flourishing. And so happiness is largely a state of mind. Yeah, maybe watching not lots of Netflix makes you happy. But what really drives people is, is flourishing, which has more to do with looking at what your capacities, your talents, your callings are, and using that as a way to find purpose in life where you where you do something that contributes to your own well-being and the well-being of others. You know, maybe you could even go on to do something that changes the world. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com. Edu slash podcast. Hiring the right person takes time, time that you often don't have. But you shouldn't let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. In fact, I was on LinkedIn jobs this morning looking for candidates to fill a key role in one of my businesses. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with hard and soft skills you're looking for so that you can hire the right person quickly. 
You can look for things like collaboration, creativity, and adaptability, looking beyond just work skills and resumes to connect you with the candidates who are a perfect match for your business. That's how LinkedIn makes sure that your job post gets in front of the people you actually want to hire because they have a much better ability to get a deep insight into exactly who is the right candidate for you and your business. Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash success. Again, that's linkedin.com slash success to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. I want to dig into that concept a little bit more and and generally zooming out kind of coming back to this section of the book around the idea of finding purpose via epiphanies sure what is it that you'd like to <laughs> like to know i guess i just want to explore this topic a little bit more tell me more about the, the the notion of flourishing and and for somebody who's listening to the show who's thinking i don't know what my purpose is i don't i don't know what fills me with the the rage to master for lack of a better term what advice would you give to them or what strategies would you recommend to them? Oh, I see. I see. Sorry. So it's, it has to do with, you know, there, there's a saying that goes inspiration favors the prepared mind and a lot of, so there, there's an entire chapter in the book about the neuroscience of the life-changing moment. And there's a, there's a great book called the Eureka factor by psychologist, John Cuneos and Mark Beeman that, did used fMRI and EEG brain scanning to look inside the heads of people that were having these these sudden epiphanies, these sudden insights. And one of the things that that they discovered is that insights can be prepared for, that you go through an analytical phase where it's essentially, a learning process where you're thinking about, okay, you're you're looking at your life, what you've done, what you could possibly do, start asking yourself the question of what could I accomplish if I was suddenly overwhelmingly inspired to strive for it? Like if I had an endless fountain of motivation to do something, what could that thing be? So you start asking yourself questions like this, and then you start asking yourself questions like, well, what's holding me back? What are my friends doing that I admire? What, you know, who are my, who do I look up to? Who do, who are my idols? Those types of things and read books, just gather lots of information, but that's not when the, the life-changing epiphany strikes. That's the analytical phase. And actually analysis constricts your thinking. And it's a state that is actually the antithesis of having the epiphany, but you're preparing yourself for it, then this is the critical component. You need to engage in distraction. So it's analyze and distract. You analyze until you get stuck and you think, okay, I still don't know what the answer is. And then there's all sorts of things that you can do that are distracting in nature because the answer to the problem of your life that you're trying to solve does not come while you're actively trying to solve that problem. It happens when you go for a walk and or take a shower shower thoughts are, are a big one here's here's a critical thing about that going for a walk great thinkers across the ages have extolled the virtue of a, a walk out in nature for spurring creativity and spurring insight however those great thinkers were no offense matt they weren't listening to podcasts while they were on those walks it needs to be a situation where you get to be alone with your thoughts. You can listen to music, but you don't want to be distracted. You can't, you, you have to get inside your own head and let these various bits of data that you've been collecting meander and collide until the solution gets presented to you saying that, you know, this is your calling. This is, this is what you need to do, or you can meditate or you can pray, or you can just lie on the couch and engage in some free association. You need to give yourself a chance where you're not checking your phone or you're not watching TV or you're, you know, you're not listening to the radio or something like that and let that answer come to you. That's such a great point. And I love the notion that uh, inspiration favors the prepared mind. 
it reminds me of some scientific research, and I don't know if you came across any of this in, in doing the work for this, but there's a phenomenon called creative incubation, which is a very similar process. Of, essentially, the idea is that you feed inputs into your brain consciously, and then you take a conscious break away from whatever you're working on. And then when you come back to it or, or revisit that topic at a later time, typically your subconscious has processed and recombined and, and worked on these ideas. And then when you, when you revisit them, you have these breakthrough insights. That, that's exactly what I was talking about. It's an incubation period that one of the, the books that I reference that discusses that is by Scott Barry Kaufman called Wired to Create. It's a book that I actually really recommend as, as a companion to mine. I would say that they're, they're quite complementary because these sudden insights are a creative process. It's the same thing as, you know, if you're, you're trying to figure out what to write about or what painting to, you know, paint or, or the answer to even a, a mathematical problem involves creativity, finding out the answer to the problems of your life or what you're going to do when you grow up or, or where you need to put, put your energies towards the answer is creative in nature. Also, this really is about spurring creativity, but there's a thing about that. There's a great quote by T.S. Eliot that he said, we do not know what egg it is we've been sitting on until the shell cracks. So you're not, you don't know what the answer is going to be. That's why it's a sudden insight. Like that's why you have to wait for it to arrive. You need to be ready to embrace the audacious. You, you need to be ready to say when this answer arrives, even if it sounds a little crazy, the thing about these sudden insights is the overwhelming sense of rightness associated with it. And the, the psychologists that I mentioned earlier that used the brain scanning technology, they found that the people that had that achieved answers to word problems via sudden insight, first of all, they knew they were right. And second of all, they were right. They had a much higher accuracy rate than the ones who solved the word, word problems via steady analysis. So it, it comes with when you get this, this life mission to deliver to you, you just know that this is the right thing, that you've got to do it. And that's why it's so motivating, because you feel like, I've got to do this. It, it feels like the right thing to do. And there's another quote that I have in the book that was from radio personality Earl Nightingale that said, most people tiptoe through life trying to make it safely to death. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess that's fine if that's what you want to do. But I would say to listeners, you should consider what if you could make it unsafely to death? And what if, what if life could be more of a thrill ride? You know, there, there may be something deep down inside you that others don't see. And maybe even right now you don't recognize that it's there, but it can wake up all of a sudden and the world better watch out. Really interesting, really inspiring. And, and the, both of those quotes I think are fantastic. And I, I got one more good quote for you from Steve Jobs. You don't have to be pushed. The vision pulls you. That's it. That's the whole quote. <laughs> that's that's why I wrote the book. You know, the other piece of this that you touched on, but I think bears digging into or, or repeating is the importance of cultivating the skill set of creativity. And that's something personally that's been super interesting to me for the last couple of years. And, and I've read a dozen books on it, done a ton of, of research and homework and, and really dug into it. Is, is how do we be more creative and how do we build that, that creative muscle? Because no matter what you're dealing with, it's such an important uh, asset to have. I think that, that on, on that note, one of the things that I think stifles creativity is the desire to be like everybody else, to give in to societal demands and not be thought of as weird. And I mean, my job is very creative. And, and you know, when I first became a writer, a year after my first article was published, I had a column in the Los Angeles Times. This is despite being a Canadian living in Canada and LA fitness mecca had no shortage of fitness experts there, but they gave me a column because they liked the way that I approached it because it was different and it was weird. And, you know, it made them laugh. And I came up with stories that nobody else was going was, was writing for them. And they said, yeah, we like this guy. We want him to be our, our health and fitness columnist. And, and so I think that Lady Gaga became famous because she was very talented, but she was also nobody had ever seen her before. And the same thing happened with, you know, Madonna way back that, that 
people aren't looking for the same old. And, you know, when I was younger, when I was in middle school, I was bullied a lot because I was weird. <laughs> you know, it was, I didn't fit in. And, you know, later on, okay, I had to realize that there's a time and place for that weirdness. <laughs> you don't wear it on your sleeve. But I was able to take that later on and, and turn that into a career that I love and happen, you know, my work has it happens to resonate with a lot of people. So we've talked about this toolkit and, and started to get into this already, but I want to come back to a fundamental question and and ground this for the listeners so that they have a really practical understanding of how to implement this. For for somebody who's listening who wants to start to create these mindset shifts, start to create this rapid identity change. How would you recommend from a practical standpoint starting to implement this? And, and you can be with a, either in general terms or even with a specific example, whether it's weight loss or, or taking on a new business project or a side project or anything that, that you, you think is a good example. Okay, well, I'll give you a few, a few different tips for listeners today. One is that this is the most important one. You have to believe that it can happen. These things happen all the time. There's no shortage of evidence of people having a transformative, life-changing epiphany that, that gives them a quest that leads them to just tremendous success. So if it can happen for other people, I know this is a cliche, but it can happen for you. One of the researchers I spoke to, William Miller, he's the co-founder, co-creator of Motivational Interviewing. He, he told me that as many as a third of people have these life-changing epiphanies during their life, and that's without even trying. If you start actually trying to have one, your likelihood that you're going to have one can go way up. So you got to believe that it can happen and don't ignore it if it does happen. More concrete steps that you can take, one is to engage in what psychology professor Gabrielle Eddington refers to as mental contrasting. She wrote a book called Rethinking Positive Thinking that I recommend. And what it is about is being careful about what it is you fantasize about and how you fantasize about it. So as an example, say the first thing you need to do is really come up with, with a dream, a wish that is dear to you, not what other people want you to do, but something that you know that deep down you would love to be able to do this and it would have deep meaning for you. However, be very careful about the way that you approach your dreaming about this. Don't fantasize about attainment of the goal. And the reason why is that, you know, this runs counter to that whole, oh, you got to keep your eye on the prize, positive thinking stuff. The reason why is that Eddington's, Professor Eddington's research has shown that people who fantasize about their goal attainment demotivate themselves to chase the goal. And the reason why is you get a virtual reality experience of having achieved the goal without having to do any of the work. So it's okay to imagine a little bit about how great it's going to be, but then you've got to put your mind in a different space. And that space is the roadblocks to goal achievement. You need to figure out, okay, if this is a really important dream of mine, if this is a wish, a goal that I would really love to attain, you need to deeply analyze why you haven't. What, why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you chasing this goal right now? Look at the obstacles, look at the roadblocks. And that is where not just your focus, but your fantasization should be, which is you imagine breaking through those roadblocks, either going around them or through them. That's what you think about is the doing the work is where your fantasy should be. That and, and seeing yourself, seeing a vision of yourself doing what it takes to reach that goal. The last bit of advice that I, I would have is imagine that motivation for goal attainment is like a mountain. If you have zero motivation to work toward this goal, you're like down at the base of the mountain. The peak of the mountain is ultimate motivation to do all the work with inspired vigor. If you're at the base of the mountain, you don't just sit there and wait for you know a life-changing epiphany to suddenly tr star trek transporter device your butt all the way to the top that can happen but it's less likely than if you started to hike a while 
So figure out what the steps are. You may need to do some uninspired work for a time to realize that this process has meaning for you. And then suddenly that motivational transporter advice can pick you up and transport you either all the way to the top or much higher towards the top. And it's, it's called a sudden gain in motivation. And those sudden gains in motivation are more likely to come if you're already engaged in the process rather than not engaged whatsoever. And the analogy that I would use to that, you know, the whole Aesop's fable tortoise and hare thing is that you're behaving like a tortoise, but you're thinking like a hare. Great pieces of advice. We actually previously interviewed uh, Gabrielle Optigen as well, and we'll uh, we'll make sure to throw her episode in the show notes for listeners who want to check that out. But I think this is so important, and and even the last point you made is is a great one, which is this idea that you might have to do some uninspired work in the beginning. You might have to start, as you put it, hiking before you really start to get to the meat and uncover what what truly gives you meaning, what truly motivates you. Yeah. And I mean, I had one of the reasons why I wrote this book was because I had a transformative experience in my 20s that, you know, I was I was drinking too much. I was flunking out of university and I was in debt and just miserable and unmotivated. Then I had this sudden transformative experience that really changed my life in terms of school. And I, I went from flunking out to doing great and I got myself out of debt. And then after I graduated with my first degree, I was like, okay, I'm pretty heavy. I should probably, you know, see if I can lose some weight. <laughs> and, and so I started working out and I hated it at first. Like I was not into exercise at all. And it took a couple of months of, you know, really dragging my butt to the gym and not liking it at all. And then all of a sudden I realized, you know what, today did not suck. And with that realization that it went from totally sucking to not completely sucking, I realized that if it could not suck, that I could one day really learn to love it. And in that moment, there was a sudden flash of insight where I said, I will work out until I die. I'm just going to keep doing this uh, forever. And that was 25 years ago, and I'm still going strong. I went for a run this morning. So uh, I would say so far, so good. So for listeners who want to start concretely implementing the ideas we've talked about today, what would be a piece of homework that you would give them as a first action step to starting to execute on these on, on these themes? Oh, there's so many different pieces that I can give. <laughs> you know what? I would say that the first thing that they could do is as soon as they finished listening to this podcast, go lie down in a quiet place where there's no distraction. There's no TV. There's no radio. There's nobody talking in the background. And just... Be alone with your thoughts for 10 or 15 minutes. Just free associate and think about anything that you want. Because here's the thing that, you know, we talked about homework. We talked about the, the analytical phase, the prepared, you know, inspiration favoring the prepared mind. It's possible your mind's already prepared. You, the listener, has a lifetime of experience already that you could have this transformative moment right after you finish listening. So go lie down and get used to just letting it, the, the answer could arrive very quickly. So give it a shot because you never know. And if it doesn't, well, then you do some of that analysis and then try that distraction again. Go for a walk outside and remember, leave your phone at home. Get used to either meditating or praying or just spending this time alone with your thoughts because that's when it happens. And then there's too many people that are afraid to be alone with their thoughts. They need that constant voice in their ear or text or, you know, Facebook notification or, or you know, Snapchatting or whatever it is that you need to get away from that because when you're texting with somebody is not when it's going to happen. Such an important lesson to not be distracted. And, and I'm definitely guilty of this as well as constantly wanting to have something on, constantly wanting to be listening to a podcast or learning or watching a YouTube video or whatever. But it's these moments of quiet contemplation that often lead to the biggest transformations. That's exactly it. It, it you know, it can come when you're cleaning the toilet. <laughs> it can come on a walk. It's another thing is when you wake up first thing in the morning, the thing is that the more focused you are, 
the less likely it's going to happen. So you want to be in a very relaxed and even a drowsy state. So when you wake up first thing in the morning, don't get out of bed right away. Don't reach for your phone. Just lie there for five or 10 minutes because that is a very relaxed, easygoing state that that's the time that these types of things can pop in. And you made another great point, which is that, you know, for somebody who's listening to this, your mind might already be prepared to have this transformative insight, but it's just a question of whether or not you've given yourself the opportunity to listen and and hear it. Yeah. Mine happened at my big one. The one that really changed my life was at 22. There was another woman that I interviewed for the book, Catherine Switzer. She was the first woman to officially run the Boston Marathon back in 1967. She had one at the age of 20 that would motivate her to go on and change the change the world. It's fascinating. And, and it, it's such a great toolkit and it's a great lesson as well. James, for listeners who, who want to do some more research, want to find more of you and your work and want to find the book, what is the best place for them to do that online? So the best place to go would be my website, which is bodyforwife.com. That's wife with a W. And there's a books tab where I have links to every possible platform that they could buy it on, including audio. If people didn't mind the sound of my voice, I did do the narration for the book if they if they want to listen to it as an audio book. I also have a, a quite a popular blog there. I've got a few million readers each year. And so there's there's blog posts that are kind of all over the map, but I do talk about motivational, inspirational stuff on my blog there and visit my website. <laughs> Awesome. Well, James, thank you so much for coming on the show, for sharing all of these insights and ideas. It's been a great conversation. Thanks so much, Matt. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening to The Science of Success. We created the show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you and I read and respond to every single listener email. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should sign up for our email list today by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage. There's some incredible stuff that's only available to those on the email list, so be sure to sign up, including an exclusive curated weekly email from us called Mindset Monday, which is short, simple, filled with articles, stories, things that we found interesting and fascinating in the world of evidence-based growth in the last week. Next, you're getting an exclusive chance to shape the show, including voting on guests, submitting your own personal questions that we'll ask guests on air, and much more. Lastly, you're going to get a free guide we created based on listener demand, our most popular guide, which is called How to Organize and Remember Everything. You can get it completely for free, along with another surprise bonus guide by signing up and joining the email list today. Again, you can do that at successpodcast.com, sign up right at the homepage, or If you're on the go, just text the word SMARTER, S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes because that helps boost the algorithm that helps us move up the iTunes rankings and helps more people discover the science of success. Don't forget, if you want to get all the incredible information we talk about in the show, links, transcripts, everything we discuss, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get those at successpodcast.com. Just hit the show notes button right at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success.